You may open your Bibles to Psalm 107, where Michael turned the men a few minutes ago, or an hour ago, if if we're going to keep track of time. Psalm 107. We want to learn about David. I'm not going to introduce the subject. Let's cover some traits. You just heard a wonderful trait from Psalm 119 and verse 113. Do you hate vain thoughts? Do you love his law? Excellent. David would ask the Lord to control him, to redirect him, to incline him, to incline him one way, not to incline him another way. David wanted to be manipulated. Some people don't like to be manipulated. We should love to be manipulated by the Lord into his ways. Psalm 107, number 26, of a large number of traits of David. He loved the works of God. He loved the works of God, the things God has done in creation, things he's done in salvation, things he's done in judgment, things he's done in providence, things he's done in personal deliverance, things he's done in answered prayers. He loved the works of God, and he liked to talk about them, and he liked to praise them. And so we want to have that same spirit and that same trait By loving the works of God. There are no works of men that compare. All the works in your life, half of them discourage you. But his works should never discourage you. They're always perfect. And so to delight in his works gets your mind off of your works and the works of other men, whether just feeble or whether against you. By focusing on the works of God, they can lift up your heart and spirit because they are wonderful indeed. Psalm 107 is about the works of God, and it deserves a lot more time than this. Michael used it already this morning. Michael and I did not have any collusion. I did not know what Adam was going to use this morning. He didn't know how I was going to start out. A man after God's own heart. Psalm 107 describes God gathering together wandering men in the first seven verses. And then it says in verse 8, and I hope that you'll recognize and accept the exclamation point at the end of verse 8. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Michael brought out the fact from this verse that we are here together in this assembly today because God's called us from all sorts of places and all sorts of sins and foolishness and put us here. Now we have another one of these in verse 15. And this is for those that were in trouble under God's chastening because they rebelled. Verse 11 tells us, I don't want to preach the psalm. Look at verse 15 again. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Again, it has an exclamation point for his deliverance of us from the just punishment of our own sins. And then we have in verse 21, again, because of fools getting in trouble, oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. 
David wrote psalms like this because David loved to praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. And he exhorted us to do it. And God inspired this. And God inspired the repetition. So I believe that it's important for you and me. The repetition tells us that we ought to praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works, the children of men. Look what he's done for us. Look what he's done for you, your family. Praise God in spite of you and in spite of your family. He is incredibly merciful and glorious, gracious, and powerful. I loved what we just sang a few minutes ago. Power, real power, is the prerogative of a spirit divine that can give us the victory over any sin or temptation. Verse 31. This is for men that are sailors. And only if you have sailed and been in storms and been threatened or afraid for your life can you fully appreciate these 10 verses here that end at verse 31. But they're about sailors. They're, They're in a terrible storm. They're going up and down on waves in verse 26. They reel to and fro and stagger. They're at their wit's end. That comes from the Bible, by the way. They're at their wit's end. So what if you're at your wit's end? Do you know how deep your wit is? It's shallower than three raindrops spread over a foot of ground. You don't have any. So you're at wit's end. So what should you do at wit's end? Verse 28, Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he bringeth them out of their distresses. He maketh the storm a calm, so that the waves thereof are still. Then are they glad because they be quiet. So he bringeth them unto their desired haven. They make it to their port that they were aiming for. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Verse 43. Whoso is wise and will observe these things, even they shall understand the loving kindness of the Lord. So are we going to be a wise congregation and understand these things and know the loving kindness of the Lord. Do you know what he's done to get you here? Do you know what he's done in your life? Do you know what he's protected you from? Do you know what efforts of yours he's blessed? Can can you think of a couple thousand? Do you need to make a list that you're the most blessed person on earth and have a list like this? Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness. And for his wonderful works, the children of men. We have so many experiences right here in this body that we could make a pretty long list. You have experiences in your life, family members' lives. The Lord's been very good and gracious to us, and we ought to praise his name. What does all this have to do with David? This is trait number 26 of David. He loved the works of God like this. With this kind of enthusiasm, can you see David? putting that big exclamation point in there four times. See it. What would he do? Gently draw a perfect, neat little exclamation point? Or would he draw it? Yes, Lord! I just put an exclamation point in your word. Thank you for inspiring that. Last night I was taken by Psalm 45 and verse 1. My heart is indicting a good matter. I speak of things concerning the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. Can you hear and feel his enthusiasm for wanting to pen down the words of God about his son, Jesus Christ? How excited are you? Let's be excited. 
David loved the works of God. Amen. And there's lots of works in your lives. That's why we try to share as many things as possible about the Lord's blessing in your lives because we want to do this and praise Him for His goodness. That's Psalm 107. Why do we have a sign-up sheet in the house of God for sunglasses? Would somebody help me? You, we want to see that work of God, and we don't want to miss it with a burned-out retina or some other part of our eyeball. I remember the hippies in Ann Arbor when I was growing up. They loved their LSD trips. And to go down to the diagonal, which is downtown Ann Arbor, and lie there in the sun, get sun worshipers on LSD with their eyes wide open, and wake up totally blind. Don't ask me what I thought about it. Even then I was perverse. But I thank God we got, we got sunglasses. And why do we have sunglasses? Because we want to see a solar eclipse that is going to occur over Greenville, South Carolina, and we're going to see the full eclipse. The moon will block out the sun. It's not a partial, and the Lord's arranged it for us. It's the first one since 1979, 38 years ago. Let's enjoy this and praise the Lord for his goodness and for his marvelous works. He keeps track of those things up there, and they serve us well, and we thank him for his greater light that rules the day and his lesser light that rules the night, and sometimes they occur right on top of each other, but they don't hit because they're 93 million minus 240,000 miles from each other. But let's praise the Lord for his goodness. Amen. Do you know that we could be on this for a long time? Amen. Look at Psalm 139. Psalm 139. There was a little girl in our congregation that has something growing inside of her and it's not a tumor. Hard for me to imagine everything I just said. David said this. A Psalm of David, 139.15. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret. Has anyone seen Chris and Rebecca's baby yet? My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. What does he say about what's being made there? It's in verse 14. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. Does your soul know right well that God's works are marvelous and wonderful, and you should praise him for them? These are great verses right here. Every member is written in God's book. If you go on and read this psalm, this psalm is a wonderful psalm. You should take great comfort in it. David took comfort in it when he was older and recognized that God had had his hand upon David from the very first moments of conception to development in the womb to birth into this world. Right. I will praise thee. If I was to give you a quiz and say, I will praise thee, and tell you that there are 40 writers in the Bible, and you get three guesses, and the first two don't count. How many of you would be right without this sermon? Would you know that really those kind of words only come from the pen of one man? Right. And it's not that the others didn't praise him. Please understand me. 
But the one that God chose to write that over and over and over and over again is David, and we want to be like him. So we want to praise him. Not only for what's growing inside of you, but hey, we did the same thing. And my mother did the same thing. And her mother did the same thing, and the Lord got us here. Curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, secretly put together, I will praise thee. This is David. Will you join me in being like David in these kind of ways? I've mentioned three. I've mentioned Psalm 107 that had four. I've mentioned a solar eclipse, and I've mentioned child development in the womb. Look at Psalm 26, and let's look at a couple more verses before we move on of David's love of the works of God. If you want to get your mind off of evil thoughts, get on to the works of God. They're all around you. They're everywhere. Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Do you want to see some industry? The Bible says that Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, was an industrious young man. Do you want to see some industry? Lie down in your yard and put that grass up your nostrils and look at the ants. They are always working. They're just buzzing around. They're carrying huge loads. When one of them grabs one small grain of sand, it's huge. Do you want to weigh the two particles and see the foot pounds of energy and the percent of body weight that they're lifting when they do that? And they just keep going. You know, you knock a you knock an anthill down in your yard with a lawnmower or some other device, and how long does it take for them to replace that? Faster than you wanted it to. Right. I can promise you that. But you can marvel about anything right. and everything. Yes. It's wonderful. Thank you, Lord. That pull out a diagram of the tongue. Do you know that there is no lack to you to go to the internet and pull up anything you want so that you can just glory in it. Pull up a diagram of the tongue and see the sections that pick up salty, the sections that pick up sweet. Do you know that you have a pretty interesting device in your mouth? It makes too much noise. We need to cut down the noise and taste and see that the Lord is good. That's enjoying the works of God. Psalm 26 and verse 7. Verse 6. I will. Let's get verse 5. This is what we want for our church. Verse 4 won't hurt us. I have not sat with vain persons. We don't want vain persons in this church. I have not sat with vain persons, neither will I go in with dissemblers. Those are hypocrites. I have hated the congregation of evildoers and will not sit with the wicked. I will wash mine hands in innocency, so will I compass thine altar, O Lord. For what? That I may publish with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of all thy wondrous works. This is a large part of worship, is to tell about God's wondrous works. We want to tell him, Lord, that is magnificent. That is magnificent, so we bless him. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And David reels down through a number of things that God has done and that God is. And then we encourage each other when we do it. We get our minds off of distractive, debilitating thoughts when we do it. It's all positive. It is win, 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 win when we praise God for his works. That I may publish with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of all thy wondrous works. Look at 71 and verse 17 of the book of Psalms. Oh God, Psalm 71 and verse 17. 
O God, thou hast taught me from my youth, and hitherto have I declared thy wondrous works. God taught David to be the way he was. God taught David many things, and David loved to declare thy wondrous works. That is why anyone is allowed in this pulpit, any, any young man is allowed, is encouraged for this pulpit to get up here and praise the Lord for his works in their lives, out of their lives, to benefit the rest of the congregation to glorify God. We do not have a closed pulpit. We have the most open pulpit of any Baptist church you've likely been in. And it's for a reason. And it's right here. We're going over it right now. Look at 78. Psalm 78. You know it's throughout the book of Psalms, don't you? I've just picked a very few. Psalm 78, speaking about the works of God. Verse 4, we will not hide them from their children. Showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He hath done. These are the things that we ought to communicate to the next generation. That we help them get a transferable skill or a college degree in short order of time. Those are good things, but they're not very good things. The very good things are right here. That we share with the next generation the praises of the Lord, His strength, power, real power is His prerogative. And His wonderful works that He hath done. Look at verse 7, still talking about what fathers ought to do with their children. That those children might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. Amen. Because it's forgetting the works of God that cause us to leave off His commandments. In verse 11, there was a, the children of Ephraim forgot His works and His wonders that He had shown them, and they turned back in the day of battle. It's in verse 9. Verse 12, marvelous things did God in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt when he brought out the Israelites from that land. Amen. Psalm 78 starts off with the first eight verses being about fathers communicating to four successive generations about the wonderful works of God. And so your children should know about the wonderful works of God and get excited about them. Let's not just have a doctrinal or theoretical, conceptual, intellectual understanding of those things, but a personal, practical apprehension of them and embracing of them to love them and to rejoice in them. How many, when was the last time you punched the air for something that God did? Now, I know it's one of my crazy antics, but what is your crazy antic? Right. You may have the pulpit. We have communion today. And so time is a little shorter than normal, but you can have the pulpit after the break to share with us your crazy antic of how you give glory to God if you want to. But what do you do? David loved to praise the Lord with that, you know, boom, 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 exclamation points. He loved the works of creation. There's psalms that I can go to and hear about creation, the works of providence and how God takes care of men. We had some of that in Psalm 107, the works of salvation. Salvation in this life, salvation from enemies, salvation in battle, salvation from health problems, salvation from sin, salvation from the grave. It's all in the book of Psalms because David loved the works of God, the works of judgment, the works of judgment, how he chastens and how David wanted that chastening in his life. And he praised God for his wonderful works on judging men, exposing men, taking men out of the way, 
punishing men, chasing them by the angel of the Lord, bringing his terror over them. Works of personal deliverance, of answered prayers, of taking away my fears. This poor man cried, and the Lord delivered him from all his troubles. You say, well, when I read David's life, he always had troubles. David didn't see it that way. I'm going to trust him over you. I don't think you know David that well. I'm going to trust David. I think David knew David. And he said, the Lord delivered me from all my troubles and delivered me from all my fears. Do you know how far we could go on this one? Please. Yes. Let me go. Yep. we got to go to number 27. I would, I would love to spend the rest of my life on this subject, sort of. Let's go to the next one. 1 Samuel 16. 1 Samuel 16. The, the one we've covered so far today, I haven't reviewed it all. Your mind is not cluttered, except you heard a great Psalm 119 and 113 written by David. I love our young men getting up and doing this. I'm sorry that young man's father and two grandfathers weren't here to hear what he just presented. But what a privilege to get in the pulpit for a limited number of minutes and to use the inspired words of the greatest praise and worship leader in the history of the world. And that's David, the son of Jesse, the sweet psalmist of Israel as he's called, who was also a man of war. 1 Samuel chapter 16. Saul has an evil spirit from the Lord. Verse 14, the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. I want you to know and believe the Bible. This is exactly true, that God sends good spirits and evil spirits. He sends his spirit, and he sends Satan. Satan can never do anything, and an evil spirit cannot do anything that God has not already allowed him to do, directed him to do, and restrained him from doing anything else. Just read Job 1 and 2. Satan was severely restricted in what he could do to Job, and he had to wait on God for any leave or privilege to do anything. And Saul's servant said unto him, verse 15, Behold, now an evil spirit from God troubleth thee. What a knowledgeable cabinet. I wish we had that in our government. Isn't that a pretty knowledgeable cabinet that could tell Saul what the problem was? Because they were able to witness the difference in this man when the Holy Spirit left him and an evil spirit arrived. Let our Lord now command thy servants which are before thee to seek out a man who is a cunning player on an harp, and it shall come to pass when the evil spirit from God is upon thee that he shall play with his hand, and thou shalt be well. There's power in music. Another time, and Saul said unto his servants, Provide me now a man that can play well, and bring him to me. Then answered one of the servants and said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, that is cunning in playing, and a mighty valiant man, and a man of war, and prudent in matters, and a comely person, and the Lord is with him. Let me chase this for just 30 seconds. You may hear about this in the Tuesday update. This verse right here, 1 Samuel 16, 18, is the resume that every young man and every young woman wants. Look at that resume in one verse. Cunning and playing, mighty valiant man, a man of war, prudent in matters, and a comely person. And the Lord is with him. Yeah, yeah well, we get to the bottom line. The Lord is with him. This is David at a, as a teenager. Lord, help us to have teenagers like this. The point I want to make right now, number 27, the trait of David for you to emulate, he loved music. He loved music, not the world's music. 
He loved music that worshiped God. He loved music that healed men. He didn't love music that turned people into blood-drawing, screaming, crazy, foolish, lusting, fornicating crazies. He didn't love music that turned them into painting and piercing and plucking and doing all the junk that they do at rock concerts and other kinds of concerts. It was godly music. It was praiseworthy music. It was comforting music. It was helpful music. David was a musician like no other in the Bible. Not only did he write the lyrics of the poetry of the book of Psalms, he invented the musical instruments, he arranged how they would play together, he picked how many, he picked how long their courses would be before a new batch took over because the first batch would be wearing out and would need some rest. All of that is by David and was kept up for hundreds of years in Israel. He was God's musician. Do you love music? Music is powerful. Last night, after a number of chapters for devotions with Sherry, I asked her for some music, and I picked. That doesn't mean she can't pick. I'm a scared preacher. I asked for some music, and I asked for a piece of music that I'm not even going to share. I'll probably, it'll probably slip out in a minute. That, uh, that I'm not necessarily going to share with you because many of you would not like it. But it messed me up in short order. Arise, my soul, arise. Shake off thy guilty fears. The bleeding sacrifice in thy behalf appears. Before the throne, my surety stands. Right. Before the throne, my surety stands. My name is written on his hand. Amen. Heart, eyes, throat, messed up. Okay, I'll tell you. Sue, your relatives. German Baptist brethren. None of you would like it. So don't listen to it. Don't go home and type into a Google search box, German Baptist brethren, arise my soul. They're close to the Amish. They're close to the Mennonites. And they sing all their songs as slow as it takes to remove all rhythm. They do not want any foot tapping or finger tapping. I'm not saying that's wrong. There's songs that we sing that I'll... I'll be as animated as anyone in here. But they slow it down so that there's no rhythm. You're not tapping, you can't. But I'll tell you what you can do when it's that slow. You can think about the words. Right. And the words that I just said to you are fantastic words. Amen. It's 305 in our red hymnal. And I just mentioned that about music. I needed that. I wanted that. I asked for it. I asked the Lord for it. I asked Sherry for it. Do you know that we have witty inventions that trump anything anyone has ever had before? That was an online search in seconds she had on her smartphone. To, and she has a, I'm just sharing stuff. She has a little speaker. It's a little tiny thing that sits over and, it, and herself, her smartphone runs this little speaker. So I don't have to listen to a smartphone's little speaker. I'm listening to the speaker throbbing the bedroom from her, well, there's no throbbing with the Mennonites, Mennonites or German Baptist brethren singing. 
The witty all I'm saying is the witty inventions we have. No one's ever had them before like this. No one's ever had them. You know, as a child, I would have had to get up and go out in the living room and lift the lid on a 96-inch console. Maybe it was 118. Lift the lid on that thing and put some little needle down on a spinning disc. Some of you have never seen it. Bethany, they used to have spinning discs in living rooms. And from that, my mother would get music for me. Music's powerful. Mm -hmm. I played games with the devil when I was in the eighth grade and played with rock and roll music, and it destroyed me. He loved music. He loved good music. And we first meet David right here. We meet him right here. A cunning, cunning and playing, and the other things that it says about him. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 6. He wants to move the Ark of the Covenant. 2 Samuel chapter 6. He loved all kinds of musical instruments. He invented all kinds of musical instruments. And the Bible refers to him as the inventor of musical instruments throughout. Even the minor prophets, like Amos, will mention the instruments that David invented in the Bible. We, get, we can get wrapped up in our lives and get so busy... We, I mean it, we, we forget about the power of music. And good Christian music can stir your soul, redirect you to Christ, arrest your thoughts. Do you know that it's hard to listen to Arise My Soul Arise, sung slowly and you're thinking upon the words and have some evil lust? All I wanted to do was take every evil lust and draw out a sword and cut its ugly head off so that I would be somewhat, just a little tiny bit, worthy of knowing that king that laid down his life for me. It music! 2 Samuel 6 and verse 5. And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments made of fir wood, even on harps and on psalteries and on timbrels and on cornets and on cymbals. This is him moving the Ark of the Covenant. David was a musician. If you want more on this particular trait, there is a whole sermon series on David the Musician on our website called David the Musician. If you're in 2 Samuel, you flip over to chapter 23, you'll find the last words of David and the description of David by the writer of 2 Samuel. Verse 1, now these be the last words of David. David the son of Jesse said, and the man who was raised up on high which we learned about earlier today, the anointed of the God of Jacob and the sweet psalmist of Israel said, the sweet psalmist of Israel. Not bad for a man of war. During his life, he wrote the words that we find in the Psalms and he created the musical instruments. He had music day and night in the temple that Solomon built. Look at 1 Chronicles chapter 6 and in his tabernacle. 1 Chronicles chapter 6, beginning at verse 31. Let me just read you a few verses to remind you of the importance of music in David's life. If you're honest with me, and you're welcome to be at some point in some way, we forget it, don't we? We can forget good music that's God-glorifying, Christ-exalting, virtuous, noble music. And it can help us. It can help us in the matter 
that we heard about hating vain thoughts and loving his law. First Chronicles chapter 6 at verse 31. And these are they whom David set over the service of song in the house of the Lord. After that the ark had rest. And they ministered before the dwelling place of the tabernacle of the congregation with singing until Solomon had built the house of the Lord in Jerusalem, and then they waited on their office according to their order. And these are they that waited with their children. There were whole families designated to be musicians and singers for the glory of God, and it goes down through there and describes them. Set apart for music. Look at chapter 9 of this same book. 1 Chronicles 9 and verse 33, And these are the singers, chief of the fathers of the Levites, who remaining in the chambers were free, for they were employed in that work day and night. Chapter 16 of this same book. And verse 36, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel forever and ever. 1 Chronicles 16, 36, And all the people said, Amen, and praised the Lord. So he left there before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, Asaph and his brethren, to minister before the ark continually as every day's work required. And it goes on to describe their work of music and singing. Verse 42, And with them Heman and Jeduthun with trumpets and cymbals, for those that should make a sound, and with musical instruments of God, and the sons of Jeduthun were porters. And all the people departed every man to his house, and David returned to bless his house. Much praise of the Lord from David. Much more could be said. His orchestra was 4,000. If you turn over a few chapters to 1 Chronicles 23 and verse 5, let's see if we can pull that up. 1 Chronicles 23 and verse Five, moreover, 4,000 reporters and 4,000 praised the Lord with the instruments which I made, said David, to praise therewith. When was the last time you heard a 4,000-member orchestra? And David made the instruments, and David arranged it, and David set, picked the 4,000 and arranged the 4,000, scheduled the 4,000, and wrote the lyrics for them. I hope you can all understand what I'm about to say. It's just... It's the pastor God's given you. Many men, or most men, that are fine arts majors are Twinkies. What's a Twinkie? Isn't that a little hostess cupcake? No. They're sodomites. Not David. That's why his resume said, a mighty man of valor and a man of war. That's the kind of man we like to listen to play music. We don't like tinklers on the piano like Elton John. If you like Elton John and the things he writes and the way he plays and the way he dresses and the way he acts and his life, you are seriously messed up. Give me David. I know what David would do to Elton John. 
The son of David is going to take care of all that in better ways. Yes. Look at 2 Chronicles 29. 2 Chronicles 29. I hope I've struck a little nerve with you right now on this point. That you know what? I could bring more music into my life this way, this way. You've got all the witty inventions we've never had before. You can pick and store. You can carry it around in your pocket. You can carry around a 4,000-person orchestra in your pocket. You can carry around a cappella singing. You can have any kind of singing you want. You can get the German Baptist Brethren in your pocket. They'll fit. It's, ama it's amazing. In your car, listen, if you've got a newer car, you can turn your smartphone on and it'll run through the speakers of the car. You can blast your... You don't need to do that. You can play it loudly, is what I meant. We have the means, but we forget. What made David great? He loved to praise the Lord, and part of it was with singing. We have lots of singing on our website. You can download it. You can play it back. Your brethren singing songs that you understand and that you've sung before with them in the house of the Lord, and you can lift your spirit and you can lift your mind. 2 Chronicles 29 and verse 25, this is about Hezekiah. Do you know how long it is after David? 340 years. 340 years. What was this nation doing 340 years ago? Nothing. Chasing buffalo. 2 Chronicles 29, 25, And he set the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, with psalteries, and with harps, according to the commandment of David, and of Gad the king's seer, and Nathan the prophet, for so was the commandment of the Lord by his prophets. And the Levites stood with the instruments of David. Notice, this is Hezekiah 340 years later. Right. Look at 2 Chronicles 35. Let's jump another 100 years into the future and go to 2 Chronicles 35 and get verse 15. And the singers, the sons of Asaph, were in their place. According to the commandment of David and Asaph and Heman and Jeduthun, the king's seer, and the porters waited at every gate, they might not depart from their service, for their brethren the Levites prepared for them. And so they had the service of this Passover. That's 440 years after David. There are many, many references. Look at the book of Psalms and Psalm 47 about music. I want to encourage you right now before we pass on to bring music into your life. Godly, Christian, Christ-exalting, God-glorifying, sober, helpful, lifting music. Not worldly music. Music's the language of the soul, they say. And, and you can believe that and should believe it from what we started with in 1 Samuel 13 where the court of Saul knew that good music would help him with an evil spirit from the Lord. Psalm 47, verse 6, Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises unto our king. Sing praises. Four times in one verse. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing ye praises with understanding. High schools have their song. Colleges have their song. There's singing. There's shouting. There's na, 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 goodbye. After their team's been beaten. All kinds of singing. But our God's a great king. Sing praises to God, for God is the king of all the earth. 
sing ye praises with understanding. David knew that in the Old Testament by being filled with the Spirit of God that the words and understanding the words and the lyrics, the doctrine of what we sing is very important even back in that time. You know that it says that in the New Testament where Paul said, sing with the Spirit and sing with the understanding. Pray with the Spirit and pray with the understanding because we are to be intelligent about what we're saying and doing in the New Testament. So the words are very important to us, especially in the New Testament, but even David understood it then. Look at Psalm 92. Psalm 92. We're going to sing a new song in the second service. It's called Feastly Decorum. It's about the Lord's Supper. Psalm 92 and verse 1, It is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord and to sing praises unto thy name, O Most High. Here is David speaking to the Lord. To sing praises unto thy name. He has the Lord in the second person, O Most High. To show forth thy loving kindness in the morning and thy faithfulness every night upon an instrument of ten strings and upon the psaltery, upon the harp, with a solemn sound. For thou, Lord, hast made me glad through thy work. I will triumph in the works of thy hands. O Lord, how great are thy works! And thy thoughts are very deep. A brutish man knoweth not, neither doth a fool understand this. And that's what all other music is like, compared to music to worship God. Lord, help us to fulfill some of these statements. David wanted singing and playing done skillfully, and loudly, and he wanted it done with the understanding. David did not love the junk that goes for most Christian contemporary music today and most church music. He didn't entertain the, the use of bluegrass, rock, classical, other worldly forms of music. He was worshiping God. And, if, and you'll find it in the context of, the, of worship of God at all times because it was to be done at the tabernacle and the temple. He loved the praise of Jehovah with deep doctrine and passionate intentions. And if you want more on that subject, than see David the musician. Let's move to another trait of David. And this one is above and beyond. Most Christians do the bare minimum to avoid criticism, correction, and exclusion. They just do the bare minimum. Show up, do something once in a while. They have no passion for God. Passion for God results in great things for God. It doesn't result in the bare minimum. Bare minimum stinks so badly and is such an offense to God. Do you remember Malachi 1.14? David didn't write Malachi 1.14. The Holy Spirit of God inspired it. But here are the words. Cursed be the deceiver, which hath in his flock a male, and voweth, and sacrificeth unto the Lord a corrupt thing. He sacrificed. He came to church. Oh yeah, we'll be there. For I am a great king, saith the Lord of hosts, and my name is dreadful among the heathen. Cursed. This is God, what he thinks of church members that just do the bare minimum. Cursed be the deceiver, which hath in his flock a male, and voweth, and sacrificeth unto the Lord a corrupt thing. Everyone that has been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, that does not give him their best, is a deceiver because they have lied about what they're going to give Christ, and they only give him a part of it. 
Because you made a vow, you made a commitment, you dedicated your life to Christ at your baptism, and it should be shown and visible and evident in your life and performance. And so we have a New Testament fulfillment of this Old Testament sin. This is a man who makes a vow and has a good male in his flock, but he brings a corrupt, something that's lame, something that's crippled, something that's blind, and offers it to the Lord. All of Malachi 1, after ver- from verse 6 on, is about this subject of giving the Lord less than the best. Because the Bible says this, I am a great king, saith the Lord of hosts, and my name is dreadful among the heathen. The Egyptians knew what he did to them. The Philistines knew what he did to the Egyptians. Everyone knew what he did to Babylon. He's a great king. Above and beyond. David was always above and beyond. He was nothing like Saul. And every one of us today and tomorrow will be like Saul. Here. On a line. Saul on the left. Your left. David on the right. You are either Saul, or you are David, or you are somewhere in between. It's a simple choice. It has nothing to do with your health. It has nothing to do with your wealth. It has nothing to do with your upbringing. It has nothing to do with any of that stuff whatsoever at all. It is right here. How much do you love them? And right here, how much comes out? And right here, which you've already heard, do you think thoughts of his law and of his works, and of his words, and of his son, and of his people, and of his kingdom, and of his power, and of his glory, and of his beauty. If you, listen, if you're from here, if you're from my elbow, this way, you're a stinking loser. You're corrupt. You're cursed. According to the word of God, because he's a great king and he deserves our best. Let's give him our best. David did, and David loved to give him his best. David went farther than any man to invent things for God's glory, like the instruments I just showed you, like the temple. When Saul wanted 100 foreskins, David brought 200. Average Christians in traditional church meetings are nauseously inadequate for the glory of God. There should be excitement. We don't need to be Pentecostal in doctrinal heresy. But, you know, we could use a little bit more enthusiasm sometimes from some of you. We don't need it because we get it from God and from his word and from his works and from his son and from his spirit. But if we were all giving a little bit more, it'd be contagious in here. Maybe we ought to start praying for a couple converted Pentecostals to get in here and show us a little bit of excitement. There's nothing virtuous about Presbyterian worship. The palace is for God, he would say in 1 Chronicles 29, not for man, so it deserves our best. Help my son, he's young and tender. He's on his deathbed. All he's concerned about is, this thing is for God, it's got to be built right. Verse 2, he goes on in verse 3, I've gathered for it with all my might, and I have gathered for it not from the king's revenues of the taxing of the nation. I have gathered from my own treasury. He says it very plainly in 1 Chronicles 29, the first five verses, because he he was going above and beyond. He wasn't just using his office to use tax revenues to build the temple. 
He contributed the most. Read it. And it caused all the princes of Israel to want to come and contribute because of the great example he set by always going above and beyond. He's the one, and here's the reason why he used the words exceeding magnifical. The worship of God should be exceeding magnifical. It was to David, it should be to you and me. You know, when we get in the back room in the morning and our young men tell us, what did you say this morning? What did you make fun of May for? What was wrong with December last year? What was wrong with it, Michael? Yes. Don't worry, parents. In the back room, he took charge of all those men and told them that June should be the best month of serving the Lord we've ever had. Why shouldn't it be? And if we do that in June, what should we do in July? Yeah, I think you can probably figure it out. Joshua, take heed. That's, David was always wanting to do better and do more for the Lord in a way of passionate worship and delight and love for him. Amen. We want to continue our zeal. We want to press our zeal. We want higher ground of more zeal. You know, we haven't had a fatted calf feast in a while. That's a shame. We need to have a fatted calf feast, even if we've got to make up a reason to have one. Let's make a cardboard ark and move it and have one. We want to keep up our prayer, prayer meetings. We want to keep up our three services. We weren't trained that way. We do it because we want to give the Lord our best. We try to be reasonable about things so we don't tire out too much or have too many programs, but we want to give the Lord our best. Number 29, short, and we'll take our break. 1 Samuel 30. 1 Samuel 30. David and his men are exhausted. They're in a very difficult predicament. They have come home. They crest a hill. They're living among the Philistines in a city called Ziklag, It's been burned to the ground because the Amalekites raided it while they were gone, took all their wives, all their children, all their stuff. The men that were with David lost it, and they wanted to stone David for costing them everything. David encouraged himself in the Lord. He asked the Lord what he should do. Go after them. I'll deliver everything back into your hands. So he takes 600 men that were with him. They made it to the brook Besor. 200 men were too tired to go on. So they left the 200 there and the 400 went, regathered everything, came back. And the 400 did not want to split the spoil with the 200. And David made a law that that was to be split with all the men. Verse 21, And David came to 200 men, which were so faint that they could not follow David, whom they had made also to abide at the brook Besor. And they went forth to meet David and to meet the people that were with him. And when David came near to the people, he saluted them. I want you to know, these are the things that you should read in the Bible. This is why I've asked you to slow down in your reading so that you will slow down and read a verse like this and get those final words of the verse before your mind is automatically clicking into the next verse. He saluted them. He saluted the 200. He could have disdained them. He could have ignored them. He could have rebuked them. He could have fired them. Then answered all the wicked men and men of Belial, of those that went with David, and said, Because they went not with us, 
We will not give them aught of the spoil that we have recovered, save to every man his wife and his children, that they may lead them away and depart. They're losers. Then said David, Ye shall not do so, my brethren, with that which the Lord hath given us, who hath preserved us, and delivered the company that came against us into our hand. For who will hearken unto you in this matter? This is one man against 400. For who will hearken unto you in this matter? Well, maybe it was 201 against 400. But as his part is that goeth down to the battle, so shall his part be that tarrieth by the stuff. They shall part alike. And it was so from that day forward that he made it a statute and an ordinance for Israel unto this day. Gentle and tender. Gentle and tender. When children are too young to do things that older children should know how to do, we should pity them. Like a father pities his children. Psalm 103, 13 and 14 teach us that. David recognized certain limitations in men. He understood the circumstances of their long trip just to get to Ziklag, let alone be so discouraged emotionally and mentally, and then go further and have 200 unable to go on. The last thing you want is 200 men that are going to slow all 600 down. The 400 needed to be freed up, so they left 200 there. David said they stayed by some stuff so that they could lighten their load and still go forward with the 400 men. He was tender and gentle, and we want to remember that about him. Do you remember the words from last Lord's Day? Ye sons of Zeruiah are too hard for me. Though I am this day king of Israel, ye sons of Zeruiah are too hard for me. My nephews, the sons of my sister Zeruiah, are too hard for me because he was gentle and tender. He would make a covenant with Abner, bam, right now. Based on what? Abner's repentance. He would make a covenant with Amasa, who was Absalom's general. How long would it take? Right now. Based on what? Repentance. He didn't hold grudges. He didn't remember past faults. It was all right now. Is there repentance or is there not? And David would treat them accordingly and forgive them. He cried and mourned for Saul and Jonathan when they were slain. When you go and read that eulogy of David in 2 Samuel chapter 1, are you able to pick up that he's favoring Jonathan over Saul anywhere in there? Or does he treat them equally? Almost. I mean, there's a little bit about his personal relationship with Jonathan and the love they had for each other exceeding the love of women. But he praises Saul to the high heaven about what Saul did in battle and how many women he clothed with fine things from enemy cities. He praised Saul, who had chased him for likely 15 years, trying to take his life. That is gentleness and tenderness that we want to have, even toward enemies. Joab knew that he could use the woman of Tekoa to bring Absalom back for the king in 2 Samuel chapter 14. He knew how David would respond to the woman of Tekoa and the story that he gave her, and it all worked because you could presume on the heart of David and know that he was gentle. Like, and you know, we have a God like that. We have a God just like that. We can presume on his heart. Because like as a father pities his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. He remembereth their frame that they are dust. I, I love to remind him of that because I need it. Amen. And that's reasoning with him in prayer, which I'll get to as well about David. He knew how to reason in prayer. 
And a way to reason in prayer is to remind God of his own promises about how he will treat those that fear him. And if you do fear him, then you can ask him to tenderly pity you like a good father pities his children that are underage and not expect more out of you than you're able to give him. And yet at the same time, let us give him our very best and go above and beyond like David did. My dear brethren, do you love the works of God? Are you going to make them an important part of your life? Did you see the importance of music? Were you reminded that you should have more music? Are you going to do above and beyond or just the bare minimum? And let's be gentle and tender in all our relationships and be as forgiving as we possibly can, especially where there's repentance. Where there's repentance, let's forgive, because he does to us. And do you know how many times Jesus taught this lesson? Forgive us our sins as we forgive those that sin against us. Amen. There we go. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.